Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I am Jason. I'm John. And we are back. Back with a vengeance. Bum, bum, bum. Let's see if we can cough a little bit less this week. Alrighty. I doubt it. Uh, I've been drinking plenty of liquids and... Previously on the Avenging Hour, the team went back in time to give Captain America PTSD, but Wasp fell asleep and almost killed them all by screwing up the timeline. Then they had to fight alternate versions of themselves and defeat yet another alter ego of Kang, I think. It was all pretty silly. And now, episode 28. That was my summation. It was all pretty silly. (laughs) Well, that is a pretty good summation. (laughs) All right, this is a classic issue of the Avengers. I'm so excited. It's Avengers. It's Avengers number 57. Which makes more noise. Like moving (laughs) furniture? (laughs) My chair is... Do you want me to put the refrigerator somewhere else? (laughs) (laughs) My chair is half on the carpet, half off. Look, we're just... We're still... We're pretty settled settled here in the Avenging Hour Mansion. Christmas tree's up. That's nice. And it's very festive in here, isn't it? Ho, ho, ho. I had a giant man come up with the star on top. Nice. You know, it's nice. It's about all he's useful for. All right. Avengers number 57 is from October of 1968, and it is called Behold the Vision. It is by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. A ghostly form with red skin and wearing a green and yellow costume floats above the dark, rain-soaked city. He perches on a window ledge, watching as Henry Pym blows off Jan to go play in the lab. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? As Goliath leaves, this ghostly figure enters the home and threatens the wasp. She flies away, but is terrified to find that the ghostly figure is simply walking through walls in its pursuit of her. Apparently paralyzed with fear, or with a bad case of womanitis, all the wasp can do is proclaim that figure to be some kind of unearthly, inhuman vision. The ghostly figure attacks her with a heat beam from its eyes, then suddenly grasps its head in pain and collapses. Meanwhile, on the way to his lab, Goliath has received an emergency signal from Jan. He immediately heads back to her penthouse, where he discovers the unmoving figure and his lady love. Goliath and the Wasp decide to take the figure to Avengers Mansion to examine him. Checking in with the other lovebirds in our cast, Hawkeye is astonished to return home and find his girlfriend Natasha dressed in her Black Widow costume. He thought she was giving up the superhero life, but she says... She's changed her mind. Nick Fury has offered her more work, and she's taking him up on it since Hawkeye's never around to pay any attention to her. Before this scene can go down the incredibly sexist road that it was clearly traveling, Hawkeye gets paged by Goliath and heads off to Avengers Mansion, with the widow telling him she won't be there when he returns. As for the last member of our Avenging Quartet, the Black Panther is out walking the streets of the city, in civilian clothes, trying to get some fresh air and think up a suitable subplot for himself. He stumbles upon a robbery, suits up, and promptly foils the crime. He and the caption boxes hint that the reaction of a young boy may have given him the subplot he was hoping for, but before we can explore that, the Panther is also contacted by Goliath and heads off to Avengers Mansion. At the mansion, Goliath is examining the figure that attacked Jan. Pym declares that the figure is a synthesoid, a name he made up for a project we never saw for a robot that is incredibly sophisticated, with all the organs and parts of a human, but with those parts made of synthetic materials. And yes, we mean all the parts of a human. Just then, the mysterious synthesoid wakes up and attacks the Avengers, showing great strength and the ability to control his own density. It takes the Wasp's earlier exclamation as its name, declaring itself the Vision. The Avengers manage to corral the Synthesoid, who explains he was created by Ultron 5, who ordered the Synthesoid to destroy the team. However, the Vision no longer feels compelled to kill, and will in fact lead the Avengers to face the deadly Ultron 5, which doesn't sound remotely suspicious or like a trap. The Vision leads the group into a warehouse where Ultron 5 is waiting. 
Ultron 5 kindly explains to the reader that this is all part of his plan. He made the artificial man collapse when attacking the Wasp so that he could be taken into Avengers Mansion, and it also programmed his red-skinned robot to bring the Avengers to his hideout. Ultron 5 springs traps on the Avengers while also dropping Goliath through a trap door, where the hapless hero is knocked out by a giant hulking robot. The remaining heroes press on, but are soon caught in a tiny room with the walls closing in on them. Very slowly closing in on them. Very, very slowly closing <laughs> in on them. The Avengers ask the Synthesoid for help, but he says he can't, although he does phase through the wall to confront Ultron 5. Ultron expects his creation to be loyal to him, but the Vision rebels and attacks his creator. Ultron is destroyed when he leaps at his progeny, who becomes intangible, causing Ultron to crash into his computer banks and explode. This shuts down his traps, including the incredibly slow-moving walls, and the Avengers leave with the Mechanical Man. All that's left is one page of Ultron 5's head being kicked around by a kid, with a pretentious poem narrating the scene. The end. Our roll call is Goliath, Wasp, Hawkeye, and Black Panther. Our villain is Ultron 5, and we have uh, appearances by The Vision and The Black Widow. This is considered a classic Avengers comic. The cover is probably one of the best-known Avengers covers there is, with a giant hulking vision uh, appearing in clouds of smoke with little tiny Avengers around his feet. And everything's in red, tones of red. Red. I like it. That first page, it's not really a splash page, but that first page is pretty awesome. I love the first, like, two or three pages, because it really does set a mood. I feel like, especially the first page, but it really sets this kind of, it's at night, and it's this kind of eerie mood. Uh, we know nothing about the vision, but the way he moves, it's very... He looks pretty freaky. It's very smooth. The way, the way they, they have him face through the wall towards Jan, I mean, it's it's really, it's done well. Almost that, that small part there is almost like a horror movie. Yeah. I like that. Pim teases that he has personal matters to discuss with Jan, which I believe he's teasing what he's going to propose. He's going to hit her? Wait, what? Um, <laughs> and we will be seeing that in a very few issues. A very few issues? Is that, is that English? Is that right? A very few issues? In very few, in just a what? just in a sh- look. It's like <laughs> soon. It's gonna yeah, be soon. soon. <laughs> I feel like Porky Pig. <laughs> I should point out that when the Vision attacks the Wasp, she doesn't even try to fight him. All she does is run away. Well, she's a girl, so yeah, I guess. Uh, some, she, she does remember that she can turn into a wasp-sized thing. Though. That's something. Wasp-sized thing, yeah. yeah. That's something. Stop me if you have notes that I'm going to skip past. Uh, not yet. I That was a really weird conversation that Jan and Hank had about bacteria. Was, <laughs> was that supposed to be an innuendo? I don't... Um, well, the Vision says he has thermoscopic eyes. Uh, I believe they will eventually explain She's got that away. Thermoscopic eyes. So they'll eventually explain that away a little bit better. Yeah, <laughs> his eyes aren't thermoscopic, whatever that is. Uh, when Hank goes to rescue Jan, he turns giant size, climbs to the side of a building, and punches his hand through her window. Yes, and Jan gets mad at him for breaking her window. She's not wrong. True. Calm down, Hank. I like how he's climbed up the side of the building and basically says, well, i got to be careful. People haven't seen giants before. Um, they know you exist. Yeah, dude. right? You're all over the news. Pretty sure you've fallen into buildings before. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Black Widow on the ceiling? Yeah, to remind us that she has a power, I guess. No, her shoes have a power. Um, <laughs> I'm thrilled to see the Black Widow back. Was, I, is that all this is? Is just to go, hey, we changed our mind. She's going to be a Black Widow after all. Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad that they did, because it would never make sense for her to want to quit. But the reason that she's back is... Is so she can leave again. <laughs> one, and because Hawkeye's not paying enough attention to her, it makes her sound like a whiny, 
It makes her sound like the wasp. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. And that's really disappointing. They have the same haircut, too. I mean, she's she's not wrong that her plots with Hawkeye have been dropped and that she never appears in the book anymore. I mean, she's right. Yeah, but... The, but but that there had to be... Why couldn't she go back to it? Because she felt she needed to. They, they always played it up like they had this great, you know, in-depth relationship, but we never actually saw any of it. It's very true. It was it actually functioned better when she wasn't around. I do like her on the team, but I don't know. I just don't really care for them as a couple. Well, they need to change her costume. So <laughs> she <looks> so stupid. <laughs> so soon. Please change that costume. Um, we, we get to the point where uh, Black Panther fights these random muggers because that's all that happened in the streets of New York back then. Yeah, and he kicks... A, the, the the one guy's in the car. He Black, kicks through the car. Through the windshield, which has got to be bad for his legs. How are his legs just not ripped to shreds yeah. by that glass? That's not cool. You even see the glass flying everywhere. So either his legs or that thug's face should be shredded. Um, and apparently the panther, we didn't, we never knew this before, but apparently he's something of like a combat medic because he sets someone's leg in a splint. I want to know where he keeps that giant communicator device that he's holding in his hand. Yeah, he's something in, his, in that costume suit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even think about that. But that is a big. That's that's some. Um, there's some detail on what, that. Uh, what's that machine that Hank has the vision hooked up to? Is that that same one that they put on him when he couldn't change his size? Wasn't that the vibro? The vibrotron? Or well, I hope they didn't put him in the vibrotron. <laughs> I, I think that the idea of a synthesoid is interesting. Of course, robots and artificial people are all through science fiction. And as we talked about last episode, you know, if someone could actually create one of those, why are they doing anything else with their lives? Exactly. But I do like the idea of a synthesoid, where the idea is that the vision... It's, I'm not sure that it works, but the idea with the, you know, with, with the idea behind most robots is if you open up their chest plates, you see whirly gigs and motors. The idea, theoretically, behind the vision is if you open... Well, he doesn't have a chest plate. But if, if you, you ripped him open... If you ripped him open, you would find lungs and a heart and a spleen... But not real ones. And and a stomach and, and an esophagus and an intestines. And but they'd be made out of keep going? what? Uh, b- b- Carbon fiber? I don't know. Yeah, it's... it's uh, what it, does his skin feel like? It leaves a lot of questions unanswered. Yeah, and, and unfortunately we have to say that he has every part of a human because that will become a plot point later. Right, which doesn't make any sense either because where do these fluids come from that keep him alive? Are they actual... You know, does That's, he have like plasma? Does he have bile? Does he does any yeah. of that stuff work? Does, does, he, does, get he, a, have does he catch a cold? Does he have mucus? Yeah, and and if he does have like plasma, what happens if he bleeds? Right, can he bleed? Well, it doesn't make any sense because he can phase through walls. And what happens to those things when he turns himself intangible? Well, what happens to those things when Kitty Pryde turns herself intangible? No, she's a mutant. So many questions. And there are, but I, I do like the idea of the synthesis. It's a little bit different than what we normally see. In, in He's not your typical robot. I do want to point out, I mentioned this last episode, if you go back to page 9. Uh, page 9, yeah. Oh, yeah, the one with the with the machine over the vision's yeah, chest. Yeah, where... where? The conversation that Hank has. He says he once coined the name Synthesoid for an artificial human. And then he says, Hawkeye remembers that I used to be trying to develop such a thing. And, and Hawkeye says, holy cats, man mountain, like your Synthesoid. Yeah. When, why would Hawkeye remember that? Why, did these why are the two of them like pals all of a sudden? And, and like but lab pals. But I want you to remember that exact conversation about the Synthesoid and how he was doing this. Because it comes up. In the next issue that I'm going to synopsize. Spoiler alert. Um, There is a nice two-page fight scene right there that lays out all of the Vision's powers, which I thought was an effective way of doing that without just telling us what he could do. I agree, and I really like this stuff. And then... And then he... We have to introduce Ultron, and the the issue goes slightly off the rails. Slightly. Right before we get to Ultron, though, I I love how the Vision is all bent on destroying the team. He tells them that he's there to destroy them. And then when they... When he... He just sits down. He just goes, eh, whatever. And... And doesn't sit like a robot. Like, he is slouched in that chair like he's a teenager. 
with his hand on his forehead like he's so deep and oh I can't believe all this stuff's happening to me yeah unfortunately the Ultron stuff doesn't make as much sense because once Ultron starts to explain his plot you're like wait you programmed the vision to do what that makes no sense why would you why would you go to all the trouble of building this synthetic creature and then make him just go why would you have him black out I guess you have him black out and go to the mansion so that the other Avengers would be there but he says he was programmed if he failed to destroy the team he would leave them here but he hadn't failed to destroy the team when he suddenly stops fighting yeah it's like everyone got tired and just oh we're gonna take a break he goes slumped down in that chair over there and in the next page when the the Avengers enter this warehouse and and Goliath falls through a trap door the panel layout on that page confused the crap out of me I had to read that like three times to figure out exactly what was happening. Yeah. This is the first time in Avengers where the panel layout has confused me. Which is weird because the very next page, they have the same kind of layout, but they put those little arrows on there to show you like which panel to go to next. Yes. And, and they will do that sometimes in comics when, when the panel layout's not immediately apparent. And when it doesn't used, do the traditional left-to-right English reading thing. Yeah, they would put arrows to lead you from panel to panel, and they don't do it. And this is the first time in an Avengers comic where I've been confused by a, by a page layout. Yeah, this one doesn't look like it should read left-to-right, top-to-bottom, but it actually does. But the panels are shaped oddly, and your eye can't follow the direction they're supposed to go. And it doesn't help that John Buscema's not putting any background in some of these panels. Yeah, right. These, these people are just in a featureless void, <laughs> uh, which makes it all the more confusing. This is clearly not the all-powerful Ultron that we come to expect over the decades. Yeah. He, he basically shoves his face in a trash compactor and blows him up, I think. <laughs> well, and it's so stupid, because Ultron is beaten because he lunges at the Vision in, in anger and rage, which is not Ultron's normal MO. Eventually, he'll become a lot more analytical and a lot less emotional. And also, he knows what the Vision's powers are. He bloody well built him. He knows the vision can become intangible. Why would you lunge at him like that? And the last page... (laughs) I love how the team just goes, eh, it looks like his head blew up. Whatever, he's probably done. The last page is a poem. Percy Bysshe Shelley. Do you want to... Ozymandias. Yes. No, I don't want to read. It's awful. Percy Bysshe Shelley is the husband of Mary Shelley, born in 1792, died in 1822. Uh, He first published this poem on January 11th, 1818 in the Examiner of London. Ozymandias was the Greek name for the Egyptian pharaoh Ramesses II. Sure. And the central theme of the poem... Is it's, pretension? It's, <laughs> it's contrasting the inevitable decline of all leaders and of the empires they build with their pretensions to greatness. Right. Which I'm not of, sure the allegory fits for Ultron. What empire did he build? It doesn't fit at all for Ultron. Because as you say, he's done nothing. <laughs> he kidnapped a butler and then he built a fake man and then somebody took his head off. That was pretty much the extent of him. It really doesn't work. The last page... He's so hard wants to be wants to have meaning. Yep, he's trying to build it up that this was like this awesome foe that they defeated, you know, due to his own hubris, and it just doesn't. And now some little kid's kicking his head around. And right, look how far he's fallen. But it just it doesn't work, which is a shame because the the issue starts so strong. Yeah, the issue starts off great, and it ends so not strong. You have anything else? No, I just really like the vision. I do too. He looks cool. His artwork works really well in this book because they can add a lot of yes. darkness, shadows, and things to him. I don't know what I was aiming for there. I just I was looking at that last shot of him, and he's just like, man, that's good. Um, the bullpen bulletins mentions something that we'll talk about on the letters page, which is they mention that they're no longer answering letters on the letters page. Oh, I should have... Yeah. I they don't. are just running letters. No answers. I don't have the bullpen bulletins, so I wrote down for the letters page stuff. Starting with this issue, none of the letters are being answered for some reason, because I didn't know what the reason was. According to the bullpen bulletins, they're doing it because they say that this way they can fit more letters per page. If you want to fit more letters on the letters pages, you can get rid of the little drawings you always put on there. Yeah. And the hollowed ranks of Marveldom. But that's what they're saying. Uh, they say what they want to do is have the readers answer each other's letters. That doesn't work. 
Because they're not printed in the same issue. No. So we'll see. They say they want to see how people like it. I don't think it's going to last for very long. I yeah, I haven't looked ahead, but I yeah. And, and I, you know what? I didn't even read the letters because I wasn't interested. Because there's no dialogue going on. Yes. Like you can't. I agree with you. It doesn't. Go, work. Oh, this guy doesn't like that. Well, big deal. Maybe I didn't like it either. I don't yeah. know. Like, who cares? What did they think about it? it the letters are not as good without the answers. Uh, Stan Soapbox. He runs a letter from someone named Achille DeBacco of Lake Worth, Florida, who answers Stan Soapbox, where he said Marvel didn't editorialize. And he asks Marvel to editorialize. So Stan says, fine. From now on, if we have a point of view, we're going to go ahead and state it. So they will never have a point of view. Pretty much. I mean, really, how do you... Tony Isabella has another letter printed in the letters page. Yeah, that's number four, right? Uh, and you had nothing else? No. Richard Lawhead of Stockton, California has two good points that I liked. He says the Black Panther would be the best member of the Avengers to be leader. We talked about that last ep- no, two episodes ago, I believe. Where he is clearly the best one to lead this team. Yeah, but he's black. He'll never be leader. And ironically, I don't think he ever does have a stint as Avengers chairman. I don't think he does. Which is a shame. And he says that the Wasp needs her powers increased. Um, But that's all I have for this issue. Yeah, I didn't have anything written down. MVP? Um, The Vision, obviously. He's the only one that does anything this issue. Yep. Useless character? Yeah, I'm just going to give it to Wasp again. Well, I have to give it to her because, again, when she's attacked by the Vision in the beginning, she wasn't. She won't even fight back. That's, uh, what's, that's seven. Seven in a row for me. Avengers level threat? Uh, the Vision? Yeah, he's an Avengers level threat. Ultron? No. <laughs> I'm going to say yes to Ultron, but we, that's the age-old argument. I wrote down Ultron, out. not yet. He really is not. Clearly, he as good as he should be. A huge threat. What is your final grade? I gave it a B. I give it a B plus. Okay. The the ending really hurts it. Yeah. But the beginning is is stronger. I think the first half of this issue is probably the strongest issue we've seen so far. Yeah, better than the, even the Masters of Evil stuff. I would agree. <laughs> Just because again, the second part of that Masters of Evil story messed itself up. Yeah, it fell apart. And now that I said that, the second part of the Vision story, yeah, issue fifty eight. November 1968. Roy Thomas, John This one is called Even an Android Can Cry. Hey, everybody! It's an awkward origin issue! We open on a cool splash page with a bit of a Will Eisner homage as Black Panther climbs across a wall embossed with the issue's title in its bricks. From there, Panther drops down into Avengers Mansion where he's greeted by the entire team except Hercules. Turns out Vision wants to be inducted into the lineup so he can get one of those fancy communicators, too. Of course, as soon as the black guy starts to give an opinion, Iron Man tells him to shut up and let the white people talk. Thor and Iron Man, despite the fact that they can't be bothered to hang around for more than five or six pages at a time, are none too keen on having this synthetic slacker made their equal. There must be some sort of test, some kind of thing he could be put through that would prove his worthiness. And Cap has just the idea. Why don't we all dogpile on him and see what happens? Vision manhandles the heavy hitters until Goliath steps in and explains slowly, in simple words, that Captain America was merely proving a point. Their doubts alleviated, Thor breaks out some sort of old-time scrolly thing. Really? And and reads the lamest team proclamation that trails off into a sort of what-if statement about Vision's memory. And now the fun starts. See, Ultron 5 created Vision, a near-human-like android, to be his slave for the sole purpose of obliterating the Avengers, which seems like a bit of overkill. And here's where the weirdness kicks in. Remember that bit of dialogue I told you to save in your mind from last issue? That thing about Hawkeye remembering Hank working on synthesoids? Well, on page 11, Goliath says that Vision is similar to a type of artificial human he worked on months ago called a synthesoid. And Hawkeye replies, Yeah, I heard you use that 10 cent word a couple times. What happened to that experiment anyhow? This makes no sense. Does this mean Hawkeye's memory from last issue is of him remembering something from this issue? Uh, Goliath decides that the answer lies in that suburban cottage he used to work out of. 
So Thor flies the entire team there in some sort of bubble generated by his hammer. Can he do that? Is that a thing? The cottage is all boarded up, but Goliath can't remember why. So he straps himself into his electronic memory bank with Jan at the controls, which is probably a bad move. Here we meet <laughs> Ultron 1, a stupid little robot that develops artificial intelligence in the span of three panels and tries to kill Pym. The robot blasts the good doctor and uses some sort of fancy mind light to convince Hank to abandon the cottage and never return. But it gets really dumb after Ultron crashes through the wall. And then Jan shows up to find Hank slumped on the floor, unable to remember anything. If Jan was actually there, why doesn't she remember why the cottage was boarded up? Once Hank is out of the memory machine, Iron Man notices that the tape recording of Wonder Man's memory that they made for some unknown reason is now missing. I'm not sure how Iron Man knew it was ever there to begin with, but whatever. This plot is already off the rails. A few more missing details won't matter. We get a two-page flashback detailing Wonder Man's fate for those of us who were fortunate enough to have not read the original. At the end, everyone jumps to the conclusion that Vision must be a robot with Simon Williams' memories, even though he doesn't remember anything about Simon Williams. With his membership fully realized, Vision then takes a moment to himself to shed a tear of happiness, even though we've been told over and over that his body has no human organs. Weird. The end. Our roll call for this issue is Wasp, Goliath, Hawkeye, Black Panther, Captain America, and our newest member of the Vision. And Iron Man and Thor. Thor and Iron Man are here for voting purposes, and we get flashbacks to Ultron 5 and evidently Ultron 1. Uh, Baron Zemo, Wonder Man, and Enchantress also show up. Our villain... Is he there? Mm -hmm. No, I didn't remember seeing him. Our our villain is Nobody, which oddly marks the first appearance of Nobody in an Avengers comic. We will see Nobody again and again and again. (laughs) I was going to write this huge long thing about Nobody. When did Nobody first appear? Uh, I mean, always the Avengers, but... Uh, uh, yeah. Before we get into the important issues of this issue, or that this brings up, let's talk about something that you mentioned, because I just have to go back to it. Thor can fly <laughs> with his hammer, we know this. <laughs> this thing looks so stupid. And we've seen many issues where Thor, people grab onto Thor, sure. when, they, when they escape the collector's ship at number 52. Or that time when they're going to the, the Avengers party at Central Park, and he has that rope tied around Hercules' yeah. neck. <laughs> Apparently this issue, Thor became a Green Lantern. Yeah, because he creates this bubble. I guess he's spinning his his hammer around in some sort of gyroscopic fashion to form a sphere. I don't like it. No, his arms aren't that th- are not that long. So we find out in this in this issue that Hank Pym created Ultron. Sort of, I guess. <laughs> he created well. He he created him originally. He created a trash can on wheels. And let me say, <laughs> doesn't Ultron one look amazing? He is awesome. And I so wish that's the shape he'd have kept. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> he always tries to sound so imposing, and someone just walks and kicks him over. <laughs> I love this Ultron. I really do. Um. And, and and the obvious the obvious question is this is Ultron one and they've been fighting Ultron five so where are Ultron's two three and four right did we find that out I do believe we, they will know? I don't I don't know that we'll ever actually see them but we will they will explain to us that Ultron rebuilt himself sure and got better every time and, and two three and four were were not enough of an improvement over this well he's got really little arms it's probably hard to put together <laughs> something better oh my gosh I just love that Ultron one design it's my favorite <laughs> thing ever anyway sorry. Back to my original point. Hank Pym created Ultron. This is 
obviously the inciting incident or one of the inciting incidents that begins Hank Pym's will eventually be be used to explain Hank Pym's slide into madness and mental illness. And it's really a shame because I love this idea. What if one of the world's greatest heroes, and at this point in time, Hank Pym is one of the world's greatest heroes. And greatest scientists. And greatest scientists. According to himself. <laughs> what if he was responsible for building one of the world's greatest evils? Right. And had to contend with that over and over again. Yes. One, and, and here's the thing. So, in this issue, they blow it off. Yeah. I built Ultron? Eh. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Who wants a sandwich? I mean, it's it's like it's just not important. And in later issues, it will become, again, it will become what drive, it'll drive him mad. This idea that he was responsible for the creation of Ultron. But I believe it would be more interesting to land somewhere in the middle, like most people would, where this should be what drives him. Not drives him to madness. But what drives him to be a better hero sure. is this idea that he is looking for ways to... Ultron should be his archenemy. See, the problem with that theory, though, is that Marvel already does that with Iron Man, where Iron Man sees some bad things that he does, and he ends up, you know, making better technology and improving science and that. So they can't, they can't jam both of them in that. In that. Same and, spot. But I don't think it's the same thing. I don't. I don't think that's that. I don't think Tony Stark's main impetus for being a hero is I want to. I want to undo the damage I've caused by my technology or the weapons I've created. Well, that's not Goliath's main impetus for being a hero to begin with. But it should be now, don't you think? Don't you think that this should be like? Well, I'm saying Tony Stark is the same thing when he finds out efforts? that. I mean, during the Armor Wars, when he finds out that all these other villains have his technology. Yeah, but that's that's decades in the future. Well, sure. They could be working on this now with... with they could have started this but now nobody with likes Hank Pym, so they don't... And this time they do. <laughs> this is before he started going completely insane and beating people. I just... It frustrates me because I think that this is... It's the one good thing about Marvel Comics, though, is that not all of their heroes are the same. But my point is I don't think this makes them the same as Tony Stark. Not at this point. I don't think it would ever make him the same as Tony Stark. Because, because he's, he's not as good as Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, well, you say that, but what did Tony Stark do? Oh, oh, no. His armor designs were used in the Beetle... Oh my goodness! Oh no, Hank Pym can talk to ants. Yes, but my point being, <laughs> my point being, uh, Tony Stark's weapons. It's not just they, that. It's even you know, decades later, Tony Stark starts making. Um, you know, he uses his the whatever that stupid thing in his chest is called. I can't remember right now. But he turns that into like energy sources, and he starts building like electric cars using it. And uh, did you not read those Iron Man issues? Yeah, but I don't see what that has to do with Goliath being driven by the fact that he created Ultron. He improves his technology because he realizes he can use it for better things. You know, if Hank, if Hank Pym finds out, oh my god, I, I created Ultron, maybe he will try to create something better that doesn't go evil. <laughs> don't you think, though, that he wouldn't? Because don't you think if you created Ultron... Well, that's probably why he goes mad. Don't you think that you would be worried about creating another intelligence? Right, but I then what's think... he going to do? Grow a beard and go hide in the woods somewhere? No, I think if you're Hank Pym and you've created Ultron, then what you're focused on is... How do I stop Ultron? How do I stop mechanical... How do I stop robots? Like, so then he just becomes paranoid. <laughs> the toaster is going to launch itself at him. <laughs> no, but don't you think that he should be focused on... See, this is the problem, is you're doing what Marvel did, and you're taking this to a ridiculously crazy extreme, where I'm saying that... Well, I, because it's not interesting otherwise. No, I think it is. It's one problem, and it gets solved, and then what? But how does it get solved? Ultron's been around the Marvel Universe since 1968, and he's still around. 
So it's never been solved. Yeah, but he doesn't need to be. That's just the thing that Marvel does that they do with all the people that they kill off. They bring them back and they find out a way to bring them back and they can go, ha ha, you didn't kill me. So Hank Pym still has... I mean, seriously, he could have taken Ultron and they could have completely pulverized it and melted it down and like, wiped everything of its existence away. But Hank, so Hank Pym still has a... Because Ultron's still around, he still has this driving force behind him. And he should be looking for ways... To neutralize Ultron. Even when they do eventually neutralize Ultron, and they have the chance to get rid of him completely, don't they end up saving part of him at some point because of Pin's ego? He's like, well, I'm going to keep this because I might be able to learn something from it. You're like, really, you idiot? Why didn't you just get rid of it when you had the chance? I just, I feel like this is a really missed opportunity on their part. I don't think it, well, obviously at this point, I, yeah, they don't think that it's that big of a deal. Oh, Pin created Ultron, whatever, it's Ultron, who cares? Because they've already killed him in the previous issue. <laughs> true, true. I don't know if they had plans to bring Ultron back yeah. at this point. We learned that the Vision was, they used Wonder Man's brain engrams yep. to create the Vision's brain. After they taped Wonder Man's brain with their cassette recorder. And this will eventually be undone uh, way in the future, which is kind of a shame because I think that the, eventually, once Wonder Man comes back, the idea of Wonder Man and the Vision sharing the same brain, they treat each other like brothers, and it's an interesting idea of a way of giving the Vision a family. That being said... It's a dumb idea. Well, it's kind of <laughs> pointless. I want to know what that cassette sounded like if you just, like, played it. <laughs> it's like some long Grateful Dead concert. Tony Stark sucks. He still broke my company. <laughs> really? Uh, what? I, um, he taped his memories. What? Well, it doesn't make any sense. And it is pointless, because since the Vision doesn't remember anything of Wonder Man... Yeah. Why does it matter? My he doesn't look is, like him. He doesn't remember being him. It doesn't. My guess is that this was Roy Thomas thinking that Wonder Man's never going to return. This is a nice homage to him. Maybe, or this is a way that we can get quote unquote emotions into this synthesoid thing because we can say, oh well, he's you know got the memories of a human. Maybe it's, so it's, he's going to know what emotions are. I guess, and yeah, coupled with the fact that well, this guy's dead, so who cares? <laughs> and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But this, I think this, this is, I think, a really good place to stop and talk a little bit about Roy Thomas and what he represents. The and complications it, of Roy Thomas. <laughs> it started last episode when we talked about the annual and the time travel storyline. So he's a problem solver, that Roy Thomas. He's a problem creator too. <laughs> yes, the, he creates problems just to solve them. <laughs> up until this time, up until 1968, Roy. Thomas is the first of a new breed of creators. Before this, the people that were creating comic books had not grown up reading comic books. The people that were creating comic books were the first generation. This was a brand new art form, and they were always looking forward. They were never looking back. They didn't care. They wanted to get it out there and sell it and move on. And move on. If they if they reference past stories, it was usually in a very a very flippant. You know, it, it wasn't continuity was not a big deal. No, most of the time they didn't remember what they had written four months ago. Roy Thomas is the first person who is coming to comic books who grew up reading them, and he is the first. He will be followed by well every other creator yeah, at this point. Uh, yeah. But but he will be followed by your 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 Jeff Johns and your Steve Engelharts and your John Burns and your Mark Grunwalds. Who or your Mark Grunwalds, who will spend, and so many others, who obviously Pete Sanderson that we've already seen in, com- in the letters, who will spend a lot of their time writing comic books, trying to go back to past stories that they read and trying to work them into present stories, I'm trying to jam them into some sort of puzzle. Yes, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. And 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 again, we mentioned it before this Avenger story has no villain. 
There's yeah. no there's no bad guy here. This entire story is the Avengers figuring out who the Vision is and who Ultron is. That's it. And that's... It's not a very satisfying story. It started out a little compelling with the Vision, but then when you get away from him, it's like, I care about... And, and like, well, there's so many different things that... Don't, well, I already pointed out that well, why doesn't Jan know why that cottage is boarded up if she was there to rescue Hank. It, there's so many things that, you know, he thinks he's solving these problems by showing how all this stuff happened, but he's just introducing more questions. It's something that I think has hurt comics in the past 40 years. It has hurt comic fandom, too, because there are so many people that have read for so long that whenever a comic company tries to do something different, you hear the clamor of, oh my, oh my, oh my, you can't do that because this guy did that and he said this and I don't know, I'm not going to go, that's not what his costume looks like. You know, you get the constant chatter yes. on the message boards. And yeah. I was part of that for a long time, not to the point of complaining, but just going, oh, I liked when they did that before because he fit that thing there and now they're doing this. But now I come to realize, you know, I, I worked in the advertising industry for a dozen years and, you know, you're always got to stay on top of new trends and, you know, put a new message out there so that people can go, oh, that's different. I know that place has been around for a long time but now it looks different and I'm going to go there again because I had a good memory of it or or you know I wasn't there before because I didn't like the way it looked but now it looks cool you know there was always the comic industry needs to be freshened we can't just make this one huge long timeline I agree and what frustrates me is so like we're going to get to the story down the road where the vision is completely destroyed and rebuilt he comes back he's all white he has no emotions (laughs) I didn't like that story at all I thought it was horrible but once that story happened I'm like it's happened this is what the vision is now. Let's keep moving. Right. The problem is the next writer comes in and goes, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to fix it. And that's the problem. Yeah. DC has been doing a lot of it. Jeff Johns has been doing a lot of it because you get, you know, DC for a long time in the 90s was doing well because they had legacy heroes. Here's Flash. And it starts as person A and the title is handed to person B and to person C and to person D. Right. And sometimes it was through death. Sometimes it was through retirement. Sometimes, sure. you know, so sometimes the previous guy was still around. Sometimes he wasn't, but it built. It was nice. It built you, its own timeline. You didn't have to know it, everything that happened. Exactly. And it gave new people and new stories a chance to happen. And it was a legacy and things were growing and building. And then all of a sudden you get Jeff Johns and he's like, no, I want Flash B back. I want Green Lantern B back. I, those were my Green Lantern or my Flash, so I want them back. And then you got to go back and scribble, and, and, <laughs> erase and the, things and tie knots and stuff. And, and all of a sudden you're going back instead of moving forward. Yeah. You need to be, these, these stories need to be moving forward. And I fear that what has happened because of people, and again, I'm not saying... I mean, to say that I don't like the people that do this kind of thing would basically mean I don't like any writer who was born after 1950. Yeah. But I do believe, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy some of these continuity things. But more often than not, we're going to get into this big time in the Steve Englehart years with the Celestial Madonna saga. Yeah. Where you have entire issues that are simply, they're just all, all this. Avengers Forever. It's a great 12-issue limited series. That's basically plugging continuity holes for 12 issues. There are certain writers who write for themselves and and don't pay as much service to Marvel. They want to write the characters what they want the characters to do. And I think it's kind of a disservice to the comic. I think if everyone wrote them for Marvel and not write them for themselves, it would be easier. And, And in modern Marvel, you know, just the last few years, we've actually introduced some legacy characters and it's great I think it's really freshened up the ranks of the heroes yes and it's funny because the villains have always been legacy characters yes you know somebody somebody dies and then they find their uncle's you know weird melter costume in the closet or something and they're like I'm the melter now you know it's been happening for decades but the heroes have never done it, it it's they don't want to 
they don't want to lose the people behind the masks. You know, you don't want to lose Peter Parker or... Because that's why DC was willing to do it, because they wouldn't do it with Bruce Wayne or Clark Kent. But no one knows who Barry Allen or Hal Jordan are, so we can lose them. Yeah, and we've talked before, the difference between DC and Marvel is that Mar- DC's are superheroes with alter egos that you barely know. Where Marvel's characters are people first that become the heroes, so it's harder for them to lose, you know, your Peter Parkers or your, your Tony Steve Stars, Rogers, your so Tony Starks. Yeah, it's only until Hank Pym's. it's only until recently that they've started to do it. Your unnamed Hawkeye, and I don't think it's. I think it's worked well so far. They've actually, you know, they've aged Steve Rogers tremendously, and they've done some really weird things, but it's worked all so far. But this is where it starts. This I is, think, I mean, to me, this is the the origin of. At least in the Avengers. I can't speak for every, but this is... And it probably is in the... Well, maybe in the X-Men, Roy Thomas was doing it as well. But, I mean, you know, it's... uh, They're the first ones, again. Roy Thomas is the first one, I think, to really do this. And I had talked about when Roy Thomas first came on as the writer that he's known for taking old characters and turning them into newer characters, which I think is fun. But then when he tries to explain the reasons why and stuff, it... Yeah, it gets complicated. I don't... I'm not saying at all that I don't like... I've liked a lot of things Roy Thomas has written. Uh, but... but And I'm not blaming him, because I'm, I'm sure if I were writing comics, I would probably be tempted to do the same thing. Especially if, you know, everything in the vault is all that... The hokey golden age stuff, and you're like, okay, we can do better than this. Yeah. But what if we take some of these threads and... I have nothing else in the issue in general. You? Uh, no, there was nothing interesting in the letters pages. Oh, yeah, bullpen bulletins. Gotta do that first. The bullpen bulletins, they mentioned that the annual awards were given out by the Society for Comic Art Research and Preservation. Uh, that was a very short-lived fan-run organization in the late 60s. Wait, is that CARP? Is that acronym CARP? Yes. <laughs> well, actually, it's SCARP. Because oh, it's society. Oh, that's, that's even better. Uh, so SCARP only existed for about two or three years. Uh, but it did coincide with the New York Comic Convention, which was held from the late 60s to the early 80s. Marvel basically won most of the categories, it looks like. Uh, most of them are not Avengers related. But Stan Lee did win for Best Editor, probably because he was the only editor most people could name at that point in time. <laughs> uh, and the Avengers came in second as Best Group, who came in after the Fantastic Four. Wait, you get an award for second? I don't know if they got an award, but they were... the Olympics? Stan Soapbox is about how bigotry and racism are wrong, wrong, wrong. We really do get a lot of uh, repeats at Stan Soapbox about that kind of thing. It's nice, because then in the very bottom corner, there's a little picture of Black Panther. Uh, We still have no answers to the letters on the letters pages. Nope. Did you have any letters to mention? Nope. Boring. Bob Lair mentioned something I like. He asks about the wasp's sting, and he thinks that she her stings are compressed air. Is how they've been described. <laughs> That's why they don't work. <laughs> That's how they described. So his idea is if they're compressed air, couldn't she use them, uh, shoot them, and use them as short bursts of speed to go faster? But she can fly. But you can fly faster. It's actually not a horrible idea. I'm not sure how useful it is for someone who's the size of a wasp to suddenly be able to get a burst of speed. Yeah, and I'm not sure how well they'd be able to show that in a comic book page either. How well do they show what she does now? Well, she doesn't do anything. Well, that's a good point. But to show a sudden burst of speed, it would work in a cartoon. It's hard to do on a page. So, um, who's your MVP? Uh, my MVP is no one. I picked the Wasp. What? Because she urges them not to have the pointless fight scene that they have with the Vision. Do you know who my useless character is? Who? It's the Wasp. Of course Because she doesn't her. remember that whole event with Hank. I picked Goliath, who creates one of the greatest villains in Avengers history. So that makes him useless. Wait, maybe he's the MVP, <laughs> now that I think about it. Thanks, Hank. You gave us something to like, read for decades. Avengers level threat? There's no threat in this issue. Knowledge is a threat to no one. <laughs> Well, yeah, because they don't have it. <laughs> What'd you give it as a final grade? 
Um, I gave it a B minus, less than the last issue. It was a little convoluted, obviously, because we went off on a tangent about that, but it still felt fresher than a lot of the recent issues. That's exactly what I gave it as well. I gave it a B minus. I don't think it's necessarily a bad issue. I just think it's a little bit um, wonky. Yeah. Is that a good word for it? Wonky? Yeah, it's got, it's got, there's some issues here. All right. Oh, is that our next episode? That's another one down Look for the next episode. It's very exciting as we're going to get to meet a brand new character. Sort of. Who's done something that you've been hoping would be done for 58 issues. Is he going to punch Jan right in the face? <laughs> he's going to get rid of Hank Pym. He is. Look at that jerk. And he's going to strike stupid poses. What's the, what's the issue after that? Uh, we got two issues next week, right? Yes, we do. We have two issues, and the issue after oh, that... Oh, no. Does that put us in a different year? It puts us in 1969. Oh, We're going to get 1969. Next episode, 1969. 1969, dude. It's the second part of that. And look, look, your favorite oh. characters. Oh, sweet. You guys don't know what's going on, but trust me when we say the next two issues should be amazing. Next week And by be awesome. amazing, I mean, oh my goodness, what the hilarious are they doing? <laughs> the yes. next two issues have one of... If you thought the Wasp looked bad before, wait until we wait until the next episode where the Wasp does things that make you go, what is wrong with you, woman? <laughs> I'm going to be sad when we get into the issues that are much more serious and we don't have much to make fun of. Don't worry. It's not just going to be a while. we got at least another time. year, year or two. And <laughs> yeah, you've got some time. When we hit the 70s, you know how much I love the 70s. We're inching closer to it. Ugh. Should we, we, were we going to do a special episode? Yeah, when we, when we finish the 60s, which should be sometime uh, late December, beginning of the next year, early January, we'll do a special wrap-up episode where we talk about all the issues up to that point. We'll talk about the Avengers in the swinging 60s. Yeah, what the 60s meant, what changed, what didn't. We'll, we'll come up with some cool lists and some, some funny remembrances. Maybe we'll give out some awards. Maybe we'll do some uh, some interpretive dance. Yeah. A little bit of... If you guys have any suggestions for anything you'd like us to do for a special uh, 60s commemoration uh, episode, drop us a line. Mail at AvengingHour.com. I may, I may compose some beat poetry. Or <laughs> We should do a poetry slam. We'll just go against each other. It'd be great. Yeah, some rap songs or something. Like rap is Eminem and Eight Mile. Rap is not the '60s. That's why I beat poetry. Oh, oh yeah, I got to snap my fingers a lot. Right? I'll, I'll write some uh, some Bukowski poems or do a Kerouac book. It's wonderful because it can be completely abstract and like I can just say words. Yeah, and then... Avengers, little elves from other planets. That was issue fourteen. <laughs> We're gonna, we should do that. We're going to do beat poetry to summarize each issue. <laughs> Ten words or less. Yeah, if you have any ideas, drop us an email, mail at avenginghour.com. We've been inundated with mail, but we can always use more. Or uh, hop on our, um, what's that thing called? Twitter. We're on Twitter and Instagram at... At Avenging Hour. At Avenging Hour. No, the, no, we have no definite articles here. <laughs> no, we are for sure. We are, well, we're indefinite, aren't we? We are indefinite. <laughs> Uh, that's all I got. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm going to walk over the other side. Where are you going? Wait a minute, it's over, right? <laughs>